Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right. Good morning, everybody. It is a it's a wet, cool morning at my house today, and I think this is change in the weather. Now, we're going to get back into the 80s next week. In fact, we're going to get back possibly as close to 80, at least in the high 70s tomorrow. But I think the hundreds and the 90s are probably gone. The nights are getting cooler and cooler, and the daylight hours are getting shorter. And I, this just might be the cold front that really jumpstarts fall fishing, you know. We get a lot of fishing activity that just really takes off in the fall. And a lot of it, just the opposite of spring, when a cold front can shut things down, especially with the warm water species, it can really gear things up. We're going to talk a lot about that today. Also, we're going to talk some hunting. You know, we've got dove season, which has been phenomenal. Will this put a damper on it? Will we get a wave of doves down from the north? So we'll cover that. And we have a few other interesting topics we're going to cover during the show today. So buckle up. we got a full show for you. But right now, let's go to the phones. <clears throat> and joining us from the Colorado Angler is Andrew Peterson. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, Terry. How are you this morning? I'm doing wonderful. Is this cool, damp weather making its way up to you up in the Silverthorne area? That depends um, if you want the truth or if I want uh, clear streams today. <laughs> it's uh, gorgeous up here it was uh, cool this morning like maybe it was 41 when i drove into the office but there's not a cloud in the sky it's it's one of those kind of rare fronts that move down the front range and don't affect us but um but it was cool and i think that's the real key right now isn't it yeah the, you know the the um, combination of the cool nights i mean we were we weren't as hot as Denver this past week, but we we had hot temperatures. I mean, I I was sweating in the drift boat a couple days this week. But if you look at the te- the water temps, particularly, I've I've been looking at the catamount gauge on the Colorado because you know that gets down there where the gradient drops and it's a little bit lower elevation. And even with you know eighty degree mid eighty degree temperatures down there this week, we had overnight low water temperatures dropped every day. And so, um, so yeah, water temps are looking great. Um, that you know, that the overnight low air temp combined with the the fall water call is on. So they're really shuffling a lot of water in the in the Upper Colorado right now. So how is it fishing? Take us through your area. Let's start with the Colorado. What do you see in there? I know it can be phenomenal fishing for those browns in the fall. Don't know if that's kicked off yet, but what is going on? You know, uh, so the Colorado is going to be, it's going to really be day-to-day this year. Um, we are, everybody heard about the impact this summer of the, the heat. Um, you know, they had those voluntary closures up there for a good part of July into mid-August. Uh, those have all been lifted. What, what the real issue you're going to deal with going forward is going to be Troublesome Creek burn scar runoff issues. Um, the monsoon was great this year. That really helped us on every river around except for the Colorado. So turbidity is the issue. Um, so we have been running trips up there and, and floating up there ourselves and wading up there. And we've had some good days, but, uh, but there are days you go up there and you might get a little shower. And next thing you know, the, the clarity um, really um, suffers. So be prepared for that. 
And even if it's not its normal gin clear self, it still can fish okay. It's all going to be relative. Um, you know, on the good days, we're seeing anywhere from 20 to 25 inches of visibility. Um, but it's a weird 25 inches. I mean, you can see your feet, but then as you get moving down the river, we don't notice as clear the structure changes. So for if that, if that you know, is if I'm making any sense with that, so... Yeah, you know, you are making sense of that. You know, at one point before we move on to some of the other rivers, too, I want to ask you about that. Oh, I've drifted to Colorado a few times, and usually later in the fall, the browns get into that spawn, and we fish them almost like we're bass fishing. We're throwing big streamers right up to the bank with really quick strips away, and those fish are very aggressive when you're using big, gaudy streamers. Will that help with this turbidity the I can't even say this. Turbidity, yeah, that's, uh, that's yeah, a tough one to say. One of those mornings, yeah. But yeah. Um, with the water um, clarity issues, that fishing might still hold up a little better. Yeah, you know, I think I think certainly um, having having some of the bigger streamers in the fall that that you know um, uh, you know make a bigger disturbance and uh, you know make their presence known with the you know the vibration and stuff like that. I think certainly that's going to help you. Um, I think, you know, if nothing else, you know, my, I did a, I was guiding Tuesday on that stretch, um, you know, down the state bridge, uh, to two bridges and, um, you know, the, the fish aren't going to be as boat sensitive either. If you're, if you're fortunate enough to float and throw streamers, um, they won't really recognize or know, you know, pay as much attention to the presence of the boat. So that gives us a little bit of help too on those days when it's, you know, typically when it's sunnier out, they tend to be a little more sensitive. Um, but, yeah, I'm anticipating a, a decent fall streamer fishing, particularly later in the week. We're supposed to get some of these clouds, and then I think it's really going to kick off. Well, for the Colorado, I think the best thing people can probably do is really watch the weather and make sure they call the Colorado Angler or get in touch with you to find out the information ahead of time. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, don't don't hesitate to call. I mean, before somebody drives up the hill, I mean, we're only halfway to the Colorado for a lot of your listeners. So, you know, before you start up the hill, don't hesitate to call us and ask us, you know, what we're seeing current condition-wise. And, I mean, you might have had your heart set on that, but we might say, hey, you know what, turbidity could be an issue today. There was some rain and the troublesome drainage. Uh, but here's a better option if you, if you don't mind uh, calling an audible. And that's the point. There are a lot of options up there, and they're not just, okay, I'll fish this. They're really great options. Take us through some of the other water that you've been fishing and what's going on. You know, um, one of my favorite fall fisheries is the Arkansas. Um, particularly, I, you know, I like to fish the water that doesn't get fished the majority of the summer, you know, everybody thinks of the Arkansas, you know, historically it's a big whitewater river, and I like to focus on those whitewater sections because now that the summer water program is over up there, places like Browns Canyon, which is like, you know, what, eight or nine miles of public water, uh, there's really only one, maybe two points of access, depending on how much you want to hike um, to get in there. But really, you can get in there and you can hike as far as you want in there and find some fish that really haven't had much pressure when the water was high enough and the boats were thick. So that's probably one of my favorite uh, fall fisheries is the Arkansas. And again, focus on those narrow canyon-like stretches, whether it's the Numbers or Browns Canyon 
Um, some guys will even, you know, hike into spots in the gorge. Uh, that's a little too far for me, but maybe your Colorado Springs listeners might, you know, head up that way. So, um, well, that one's not bad. We're seeing, um, we've seen the, the warm uh, water closures on the Eagle also eased up a bit. They're still asking you not to fish below the fairgrounds in Eagle, particularly in the afternoon. But upstream, we're seeing good, cool temperatures, you know, kind of from, you know, the confluence with the gore there at Dow Chute, Dow Junction, uh, down, you know, through Walcott to Eagle. Um, there's some great wade fishing on there, uh, way too low to float. Um, and then, uh, you know, we, you know, being here, we don't mind. A day trip for us might be a little bit different than your front range guys, but we do a lot of, a lot of action on a lot of, you know, kind of, Days on the Roaring Fork at this time of the year. Um, it's low, uh, but it's clear and it's it's fishing well. So um, those are a couple of good options that offer. You know, you can you can float or wade the Roaring Fork right now. Although the hard boats are taking quite a few shots, it's pretty low. I would I would say you want to take an airboat uh, out there right now, take a raft. What what about the blue? Is it? Are you seeing much happening there? Yeah, so the blue is a, it's a tale of, uh, we'll say, three rivers. I mean, you, you look at the water above Green, uh, above Lake Dillon toward Breckenridge, it's going to be low seasonal flows on a, think of a feeder stream, a high elevation feeder stream. There's some action to be had over there. Um, then a lot of people like to fish the tailwater stretch through town here. The one thing I'll say is it's going to be, it's going to be um, low and clear and stable um, but the fish will be a little sensitive on the on the high Sundays. Um, action's been decent. Um, we are still seeing a little bit of dry fly action in the lower light moments. So whether that's early or then again after say four thirty five o'clock. Uh, and then the other big interest at this time of year we get is the lower blue below Green Mountain. So uh, there's still bugs hatching down there. Summer bugs, uh, drakes, PMDs. Um, the problem is for wade fishermen, you're going to be limited to the near bank uh, for that top mile or so until you get cliffed out down there. But fishing well, um, and then the guys, you know, those guys that like to kind of go on down there through Jurassic Park, um, we're seeing a lot of people come by going that way. So, yes, yeah, so what about 700 today? So. I've, I've never asked you uh, in our conversations, but I used to love going to the different rivers this time of the year and chasing kokanee with a fly rod. I've done it on the Dream Stream. I've done it. Uh, uh, I've done it in uh, down by uh, on the Gunnison River. I haven't done it right around your area. Do you guys get into that much, or do you see quite a few anglers doing that? I would say the the kokanee of Summit County are probably the the least consistent and they're also some of the smaller ones like you know there's been years where i'll see them come all the way up here into town out of green mountain but what's going on down there some bucket biologist decided it was a good idea to illegally plant coke or uh, pike in green mountain several years ago the divisional the cpw now doesn't want that so they have not They've decided to starve those fish in, a, in an effort to try to get them out of there. So they haven't put any stalker rainbows or stalker kokanee in Green Mountain Reservoir in like five years now. So if you look at the four-year life cycle, those salmon are pretty much played out there. So 
um, they don't successfully reproduce out of there. So without that, that stocking program, we don't, we don't anticipate seeing any in the river here until they get the pike under control and then uh, start planting them again. But I, I go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is Lake Dillon, on the other hand, is the only the only one I know of, and I, I should ask our, our biologist up here. But Lake Dillon has a self-sustaining population of kokanee salmon. They haven't planted a kokanee salmon in Lake Dillon in over twenty years, and there are still well, the- salmon in there. So, I know the, the ice fishermen take advantage of them in that inlet every fall. Yep, and every now and then you'll see a few that make it up into the upper blue in the fall, but they don't go far, and a lot of them end up on private property there, but they do get into the to the upper blue. Um, I haven't heard of any getting into 10 Mile, um, you know, because 10 Mile will see some brown trout, brook trout action in the, in the fall. Uh, but the few kokanee we hear of being caught in a river tend to come out of the upper blue. All right. Before we run out of time, Andrew, let's talk about your shop and your guide service and what you have to offer. Kind of take us through all everything you do. So we have a brick and mortar store here um, in Silverthorne. We're right next to Blue Moon Bakery and Sunshine Cafe. If you guys are familiar with that, just on the south side of the Interstate Exchange, uh, we have a full, you know, full service um, fly store, fly shop here with uh, over eighteen hundred. Uh, different fly patterns. That's our biggest category, but we have, you know, waders, rods, um, apparel, you know, everything you would need for a day on the water. And then we have a, a pretty deep guide service here offering wading and float trips uh, across the central part of the state. Um, yeah. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Are you still there, Terry? Okay. Yeah, sorry about yeah, that. I'm here. I uh, just, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we we really are kind of old school in our belief that information is key and current information. So, uh, you know, even if you guys, you know, if your listeners don't have a chance to stop in, don't hesitate to call us. Um, you know, I remember when I was, you know, doing a lot more traveling when I was younger without a without a business and a family to control. And I, I would make road trips on my weekends and, and you know, a little bit of, you know, phone time back then sometimes saved me driving in the wrong direction. So we don't we don't mind helping people out that, you know, give us a call. All right. Give your number and your contact on the web. Yeah, you can uh, give us a call here at 970-513-8055. Uh, the website's the color, thecoloradoangler.com. Uh, and um, you can you can email me, Andrew, at coloradoangler.com as well. All right, my friend. Great information as always. Love having you on. Thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, Terry, you have a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yep, we sure will. Thank you. Andrew uh, Peterson from the Colorado Angler. Great shop, great people. I know people that have personally been involved in taking courses. They do a rowing course for guides and just... They're just super people, so use them to your advantage. You know, information is the key to success in the outdoors. We're going to take a time out, and we come back, we'll have more outdoors. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Locations up and down the front range, and they are well-stocked for all your outdoor needs. Let's go to the phones and joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife Assistant uh, Law Enforcement Chief, Ty Petersburg. Good morning, Ty. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? 
I'm doing good. And your plate is pretty full these days because I understand you're also acting a assistant director right now. Yeah, currently I have a, a couple jobs that I'm working through. And then we also have the backcountry search and rescue program coming online in the next few months. So it's pretty yeah, fun. I, you know, and I want to make sure we do a lot of give a lot of time to backcountry search and rescue. I've been involved in some search and rescue myself in the past, and we used to do a couple shows a year on outdoor comfort and survival. And it's it's amazing. We're not going to spend time on it today, but it's amazing some of the misconceptions people have of what gets them in trouble in the outdoors, isn't it? really is. It's really a matter of just being prepared and usually letting people know where you're at and then having a few things like a, a way to communicate or a way to navigate your way out that'll really save your bacon in, in, a, in a pinch. Right. There's just a few basic things that can turn what's an inconvenience and keep it from being a tragedy. But let's talk a little bit about what's going on right now of some of the duties. You know, law enforcement, I don't think the first thing that jumps out of people when they think parks and wildlife is law enforcement. But if I'm not mistaken, all the district wildlife managers and most of the park rangers are law enforcement. Isn't that right? Yes, sir. You're correct. So our district wildlife managers and our park rangers are both post-certified officers, just like a state trooper or a, a city officer, a sheriff's deputy, anything like that. In fact, most often our, our officers have a little bit more training and, and certainly the expertise of working in the woods and, and on the water. So uh, they're all post-certified officers, just like you'd see rolling down the road in Westminster or, or uh, Craig, Colorado, or anything like that. Well, I also know that even outside of normal for parks and wildlife, a lot of your personnel, when we have like uh, wildfire situations or extreme maybe something going on criminally, they get called into action to help out. In fact, I've known some rangers, and I don't know about in Colorado, but in some areas that actually help with SWAT teams. So it's a it's a really interesting profession. And I want to move on and talk to you about a couple of things. But before we do, you guys are actually in the midst of hiring for that right now, aren't you? We sure are. We opened our jobs up for next year's hiring class for our academy that's district wildlife managers and park rangers um, September 1st and it closes September 28th and uh, in fact we have a, an online webinar coming up I believe it's the 14th uh, where folks can go online and learn more and ask some questions so we're in the middle of that we have um, when we're fully staffed we have almost 400 officers statewide between both both arms of the agency and uh, we're really looking to, to fill those roles and, and put some people out in the community. It's, it's really a unique position where you're ingrained in the community and you're part of what's going on in the, in the town or the city you serve. And, and as you said, it's a heck of a lot more than, than going out and just being law enforcement. It's serving for wildfires. It's, it's working with 4-H. It's being in the schools. So it's a pretty broad-reaching opportunity. Well, and I'll make a comment, too, before we move on, because there's a couple areas I want to get to with you while we have time. And one of those is the fact that district wildlife managers, if I want to know about the fishing or the hunting in a particular area, a lot of times my first contact will be I'll try to contact the district wildlife manager in that area. Now, they may point me to a biologist or another person, but they really are there not just to enforce the law, but to really help the outdoor enthusiasts, aren't they? You're exactly right. Our folks are, are kind of the epitome of community policing, and it goes far more than uh, enforcing the law. It's that customer service part of it. And uh, when I grew up, we knew where the wildlife officer lived, and we knew him by 
his first name and, and everybody would just call. And uh, usually they could give you the inside skinny on where things are at or what's happened with the critters out there. What's the migration looking like? Uh, what are the conditions on the ground? So they're a great resource. And if they don't know, they have those contacts with the biologists or researchers or anything else. So it is a great starting point. Really, really is. A couple things I want to make sure we talk about. The one is some tools that have really helped you guys. And I think probably the biggest one that you guys will bring up to me, and that's Operation Game Thief. Tell us about that. Yeah, you bet. OGT has been in Colorado for several decades now. Uh, Operation Game Thief is a crime stoppers program. So it is a nonprofit um, that we help run with the help of a citizen board. And the, the short version of it is that OGT is a place for people to call in with um, tips for illegal activity. If you have a hunch that something's going on or you know of something that just doesn't seem right, you can call in or email Operation Game Thief. And uh, from there, they can distribute that to our officers out in the field. The great thing about it, two things really, is that you can remain anonymous if you need to be. And then we can offer some cash rewards for information that leads to some sort of charges being issued. And usually if it smells bad, it is bad. And so people are a little bit hesitant to um, to submit information sometimes. And this is a way you can do it really, uh, really just protect yourself. And as hunting season is getting going right now, there's always something happening. And what I want to emphasize is the huge majority of our of our clientele out there are great people. They are ethical. They, they want to do what's right. They want to be on the up and up. Um, but there are a few of those folks out there that really give hunters a bad name. And, and uh, that's what Operation Game Thief is for, so we can go out and really work those cases. How do I, if I had a suspicion something was going on, how do I use Operation Game Thief? How do I find the information? How do I make uh, provide that tip? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You can go onto our website. Uh, if you forget what I'm just about to give you, you can go onto our website and, and punch it in. You can go to the law enforcement page, and it's right there. Uh, our phone number is 877-COLO-OGT, so C-O-L-O-O-G-T. Uh, or you can email us at game.thief at state.co.us. The other thing you can do is we, we do dispatch the Colorado State Patrol and the local sheriff's offices most often. So if you can't think of those things off the top of your head, you can call your local jurisdictions as well. All right. We only have a minute or two left, but you, you mentioned all the hunting seasons are kicking off. We have dove and archery and we've got muzzleloader coming up. What are some of the more common either mistakes or even intentional violations that you find with hunters? Well, there's some basic things that we all just, you know, sometimes are just forget. And if you hunt long enough, you're going to do it yourself. And I've done it too. Um, but a lot of a lot of folks sometimes will just forget to unload their their weapons, their guns, or before they get into their vehicle. And um, both good and bad, we have a zero tolerance policy on loaded weapons and vehicles because the majority of our hunting accidents happen in and around a, a motor vehicle with a loaded weapon. So forgetting to unload your gun, taking a, taking a round out of the chamber is a big deal. Um, the other thing is just tagging violations. People forget to fill out their tag once they've harvested their animal. Uh, those are the two biggies. And, and then, un unfortunately, every once in a while, you'll harvest an animal that you didn't intend to. You know, either it's a, a pasture shot or you shoot a little buck on a, on a doe tag. And in those cases, the very best thing you can do is give us a call, number one, for 
ethical reasons. You want to do what's right, and we can save that meat or donate that meat. And number two, it's really um, it's really better, beneficial for the hunter to say, man, I made a mistake, and we can take care of it in a lot less painful way most often than than if it's it's something where you leave it in the ditch and walk away from it. it it's just a matter of doing what's right. All right. We are out of time, Ty, but all great information, great segment. Thank you so much for joining us and try to take a breath and get out and do some outdoor yourself, even with all the jobs you're doing right now. We will try. Thank you, sir. All right. Ty Petersburg, you know, just great people in in park, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. For the most part, outdoor enthusiasts dedicated to their jobs. We're going to take time out and we come back. We're going to talk about another program Parks and Wildlife has to bring maybe people who weren't as active in the outdoors into the outdoor community. That and more on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. We're going to jo- They're going to join us in the second hour. We're going to talk about the state of equipment and supplies for the fall hunting and fishing season. But right now, let's go to the phones and joining us. Hey, sorry, we had lost Terry there. Uh, I'm going to try to get him back onto the air real quick. Uh, but tell okay. everybody a little bit about what you do. Sure. My name is Andrea Kurth, and I am the Outdoor Equity Grant Program Manager. So what that means is I am managing a brand new grant program that just started this year through Colorado Parks and Wildlife that that's made through the lottery to support educational and conservation experiences. Is Andrea Kurth. Good morning, Andrea. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We had a little bit of a technical glitch there, but we're fine now. So thanks for joining us this morning. And you're here to talk to us about something called the Outdoor Equity Grant. And this is actually the second round of this, isn't it? Yes. So the Outdoor Equity Grant Program started just earlier this year and has distributed around $1.8 million already to support Educate, outdoor education and conservation experiences for youth all across Colorado. And we are in our second round of soliciting applications for organizations that want to take kids outside across our beautiful public lands and outdoors in our state. And this time around, we have $1.3 million to distribute to support outdoor programming for kids. Well, and, you know, um, without trying to put people into a bucket, the family structure is much different. Now, when I grew up, families tended to have a complete families. We didn't see as many single-parent families. And the outdoors was part of the culture, and it was part of what, we did because it was our backyard is we've seen more urban communities, more single families. A lot of people don't understand the outdoors, understand how to enjoy it or how to access it. And I think this program is probably aimed at a lot of those people getting them outdoors. So once you experience the outdoors as a youth, you'll tend to keep experiencing it. But if you don't, a lot of times you never get to enjoy it. Is that kind of what you're seeing out there? Yeah, that's part of it. I think there are, some communities in Colorado that 
traditionally have been excluded from the outdoor community either because they don't have the knowledge like you mentioned or or are you there financial barriers yes can you hear me okay you cut out for a minute go ahead but go ahead keep going um for some families there may be some kind of financial barrier a time barrier even a language barrier for folks who um, English is not their first language and they don't know how to access information about the outdoors. Um, as we all know, sometimes outdoor gear or experiences like skiing can be really expensive. And a lot of times activities like that are cost prohibitive for a lot of families in Colorado. So this program is aimed at getting everybody outside, especially youth who have been traditionally excluded or haven't been able to have these experiences before. So what are a few of the things you have funded in the first go around? Yeah, we have 43 organizations that are currently receiving an outdoor equity grant and that's helping do everything from um, giving youth Uh, work experience in the outdoors, growing food on farms, um, learning how to make medicines and forage native food from plants that are outside. Um, We have some groups that are taking youth up into the mountains for the first time to go skiing or to go hiking. Uh, We have some groups that are providing uh, whitewater experiences for youth who haven't been able to. And um, we have some programs that are supporting things like track chairs and adaptive equipment so that youth with disabilities can also experience the outdoors. So there are so many unique and diverse programs that this grant is funding and we're so excited to see the applications for the second round and and really expand the impact that this grant is having on youth across the state. Now, if I'm right, um, you're looking for groups that serve youth up to the age of 25, so young adults also. And I believe that uh, it's open to apply for these grants through the September 30th. How, who can apply and how do they do it? Yeah, that's right. So like you mentioned, the application is open until September 30th and nonprofits, for-profits, local governments, schools, and native governments can all apply for this money. So there's a wide variety of um, different kinds of organizations that can apply and organizations that apply should really be focused on expanding access to the outdoors for youth who have been traditionally excluded and should include some kind of or education component. All right. And then what kind of dollar amounts can they apply for? Yeah, so organizations can receive up to 150000 but they're open to apply to whatever amount will help them um, have a new program or support taking youth into the outdoors. And the fund has a total of $1.3 million to distribute this time. And how do they apply? You can apply on the Colorado Parks 
and wildlife website. Um, the easiest way to do it is just Google Colorado Outdoor Equity Grant Program and the page will come right up and you'll see the application on the page. All right. Thank you so much. It sounds like a great program. But the more people we get outdoors, I think the better we can instill those values and traditions and memories in them. So great program. Andrea, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You bet. That's Andrea Kurth about the um, Outdoor Equity Grants Program. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, Austin Parr is going to join us. And we're going to talk fishing and maybe a little dove hunting right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're just a tear in my eyes each night. I cry myself to sleep. You're just a memory. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and of course you're listening to one of Austin Parr's favorite songs. You're just a teardrop in my eye from the Wickstrom and Dobrith album. Is that right, Austin? Absolutely, Terry. (laughs) Hey, uh, talking about things you like, though, seriously, with this weather change, and we're going to talk a lot about what that's doing for fishing, you... um, a technique that you kind of like to use is really going to come into its own here now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it's no surprise that I like catching fish on jigging wraps and blade baits and jigging spoons. And this time of year is really when it shines. I've figured out a way to be able to catch fish on that kind of stuff for a lot of the year. But in the fall is where you can catch a lot of big fish on it, but yet still have a lot of good numbers um, on a variety of different locations uh, when it comes to walleyes and smallmouth bass. And also, well, not only walleyes and smallmouth bass, uh, Charlie Black caught a state record catfish out of Pueblo. I, I believe it was on a jigging wrap type lure. I know it was this this type of presentation. And uh, I want to get into where this is happening and and where people can a little bit about details and then go around the state a little bit about what's happening fishing-wise. But before we do that, I started using spinner baits again more this year than I have in the last maybe five or six, because every bass fisherman used to have a spinner bait tied on. Now they have a chatter bait tied on. And I think fish get conditioned to lures, but then if they don't see them for a while, and of course new fish grow up, I think that, that they become very effective again. We may see that phenomenon with jigging spoons because of the number of jigging wraps and blades we're seeing. What do you think about that? I would definitely agree with that. And there's some that are on the market. There's a company in, Wyoming that we've been picking up a lot at the store and I've been fishing a lot lately. It's called Badass Tackle. And they have a jigging spoon that is similar to a few others on the market, but it has a, a very uh, high-pitched glass rattle that's built into it. And those jigging spoons have been very worthwhile for us. And, and fish them very similarly to how you do a jigging wrap where you're a lot of times uh, vertical jigging, but yet in my case, I'll, I'll pitch them out in an area that's not very snaggy. And you'll snap them back on an aggressive pop and then let them fall on slack line. And there's a variety of different digging spoons that you can do this with. Uh, if you're fishing to fish that are near the bottom, those heavy digging spoons that are the slab-style spoons really do well. And especially places like McConaughey, uh, those have become famous. But when you're dealing with fish that are a little a bit up higher in the water column and aggressively chasing scab, I'll adjust my jigging spoon to more of a lighter spoon, similar to like a blue fox pixie kind of style spoon, um, even a daredevil or even a cast master that's just a little bit lighter that has more of a flutter to it. 
and those fish uh, will eat that spoon as it's falling down rather than those heavier spoons that just rock it to the bottom and you're hitting them with more of the aggressive snapping style motion. Well, I think this cold weather, it was 47 at my house today and rainy. Now, it's going to warm up high 70s tomorrow and back in the 80s, but the nights are going to still be cold and the daylight hours are not going to be as long. I think this could be the front that really kicks off this fall fishing, don't you? I would definitely agree with that. And and a lot of the locations in Colorado, like Pueblo or Cherry Creek, that have had a really good shad hatch, we'll start to see a few shad start to die off. And when that begins to happen, these walleyes really get a lot more aggressive on eating the wounded bait fish. So imitating that wounded bait with the blade bait, the jigging wrap, or the jigging spoon is, is really what you're going to want to do. But then shifting over to lakes like Chatfield, uh, there was a very poor shad hatch this year, and those fish have still been it's very spread out, honestly. And, and being able to catch them on a variety of different presentations, but this same time two years ago when there was not a good shad hatch out there this is the time of year that that digging rat bite really fired off but rather than dad colors with the whites and the silvers and the silvers and blues i was fishing more of the perch colored baits uh on the digging wrap and the blade bait both uh with the matte colors as well as metallic style colors and that really was incredibly uh, productive. And I've begun to see a little bit of the, that type of a presentation working out there, but it should really pick up more as this cold weather continues. Now, you mentioned, before we move on to some mountain lakes, you mentioned Pueblo and you mentioned McConaughey. What, um, are you hearing anything from either one of those? Is, is stuff starting to go or are we just on the beginning? What are you, what are you hearing from them and what's the boat access like? Yeah, we've just been starting uh, McConaughey this year. This might be the, the year that we've been talking about for the last 10, where if you're going to be wanting to fish for big fish, I think McConaughey is going to be the location this fall. Water is very low up there, reminiscent of the early 2000s. We're at in the mid-30s as far as percentage is concerned. The only boat ramp that's currently open right now is Martin Bay. However, I've heard that some of the other boat ramps may be opening as agricultural demand for water begins to recede and they can start to fill it a little bit. But Martin Bay only on the low water boat ramp. Uh, the catfish bite has been incredible both in the day and the night. And the walleye bite has begun to pick up um, on that deep water slab, slabbing style technique. We mentioned the digging spoons. That's certainly a technique that I would be having up there on the heavy half and three quarter ounce digging spoons. But additionally, the digging wraps are also going to begin to do very well. Now, that lake was very high for a lot of years. The, the, the trees that had grown from when it was low were submerged, and the fishing was very challenging. With the water back down, these fish are going to be out of those trees, more on the sand flats, and it's going to be much more comfortable to fish without getting snagged all the time in those trees. Now, adjusting down to Pueblo, same type of thing is going to be happening, but it has been generally slow so far. The smallmouth have been better than the walleyes or the wipers, but a few guys are catching some fish uh, doing the same style of technique on the, the vertical jigging bite, but I've also been hearing that the trolling bite has still held strong down there. Uh, number five and number seven flicker shads and shad wraps have been productive. Uh, silvers, as well as some of the purple colors on both lead core and planer boards have been good. Fish have been all across the water column chasing those bait fish. All right, let's switch gears. Not only is this cold water weather going to get the 
the warm water species fired up. I really believe we're headed over the next few weeks for some of the best fishing of the year. The same thing's true in the mountains. The trout and the kokanee are going to get more active. Totally agree. And, and the higher elevation that you go, the closer that some of these fall spawning fish are going to be going to the actual spawning uh, motion. So especially high elevation brook trout, those guys are going to be really thinking about going right now. and They're going to be very aggressive and colored up. So it's one of my favorite times of the year to fish that. But then places like North Park, where we have a lot of brown trout, it's going to be going here pretty quick. Looking at the weather forecast up there, it's going to be in the mid-20s tonight. So that's going to be firing those fish up. And maybe not quite the full spawning efforts yet, but that pre-spawn for those browns, uh, those fish are going to be getting active, and then not to mention the cut bows. Uh, the, as that water temperature falls, everything is going to be more productive. So Lake John certainly would be on my list, as would Delaney Butte. I like both of those this time of year with heavier reactionary bites. Uh, the the gold minnows are one of my favorites. And Delaney's, although it is a gold meadow fishery, above an inch and a half, you can fish scented lures. So those gulp minnows are very high on my list for productive baits there, as well as at Lake John, and then two jigs certainly as well. And if you get some good wind, which can happen up there, jerk baits in the mud line to get those fish going has been very good in the past for me, and it would be something that I would be very uh, highly considering heading up there here pretty soon. I'm going to switch gears on you before we run out of time, because I know that upland game and doves and grouse are very near and dear to your heart. This weather could change. Doves have been phenomenally good is what I've heard. I don't know if this weather will change it, whether it got cold enough. One of two things could happen. It's going to stay really good or we're going to get a pause and then a wave of northern birds. What are you seeing out there and what are your feelings about the doves? Yeah, the dove hunting this year was the best that I've seen in a couple of years up to this point. The numbers were spectacular along the river bottom and in eastern Colorado. Um, uh, With the drought out there, to find water, you've got an absolute just ton of birds on top of you. But as you mentioned, I imagine that there'll be some of the resident birds that have been here for the summertime. They should be moving out by this point. But we should have that northern push. And when we get that northern push a lot of times, it's one of my favorite favorite times to get out. You lose all your crowd, and there's still a decent number of birds. And if you're able to move and, and continue to be mobile where you, you can keep moving until you find birds. That is uh, still, I think there's some good success to be had out there uh, as we move through the next couple of weeks, as we get some of those birds to move down from uh, northern Nebraska and South Dakota and North Dakota. All right, my friend, if people want more information, how do they find you? I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. All right. Austin Parr, always a great resource. By the way, the Jigging Spoon Bite, um, we've done a number of television shows in the past on that. And two of the lakes he mentioned, Pueblo and McConaughey, there are episodes on my YouTube channel. Uh, Tom Bruno and I did a thing for In Fisherman on Pueblo. I both wrote about it in the magazines, and we did a, a TV episode on it quite successfully for Walleyes and Wipers. And then Charlie Black and I, and uh, we went out uh, on Lake McConaughey, and him and his fishing partner literally kicked my butt out there. But, boy, did we catch fish. It was just a great time. So both those are on the Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom on YouTube. We'll take a time out, and we'll be joined by one of our favorite contributors after this short break on 104.3 The Fan.